Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. We make very few solar panels in the United States today. Um, and this is something that Trump wanted to change and now Biden really wants to change as well. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Democrats want to use hundreds of billions in new tax incentives to create new factories for clean energy technology. But their proposals come with big political and economic risks. I wanted to focus on solar because we're going to build a ton of it in the next few decades. No matter what you think about climate change, it's the cheapest form of electricity right now. We're going to be building a lot of it in the United States and around the world in the next decade. Reporter Gavin Bade on his trip to Georgia and America's new bipartisan experiment with industrial policy. So I went down to Georgia last month um, in early December to try to illustrate a little bit of this, what I call the new bipartisan experiment with industrial policy. So basically through the last administration into this administration, we're seeing members of both parties, whether it's in the White House or Congress, really focus a lot more on American manufacturing and trying to use the government to incentivize more factories to be built here in the United States. We've seen this trend through two administrations now, and I wanted to find a factory that kind of exemplified it. We found that down in Georgia. Going back to this specific factory, you mentioned that it's a really good case study to look at because of the possibilities it represents and some possible pitfalls. So could we go through some of the possibilities and some of the pitfalls here? Yeah. Yeah, let me just talking about this factory. I thought it was so interesting because it actually was built. It was founded and built because of trade policy. The South Korean company that owns it, Hanwha Q-Cells, decided to break ground on this factory only after President Trump imposed tariffs on solar panel imports, right? So, and they'll tell you, if it weren't for trade policy, they wouldn't be there at all. And so it's a pretty big factory. They make over 10,000 solar panels a day. They employ 700 people. It's the biggest solar panel factory, assembly factory, on the North American continent. Mm -hmm. But we'd need more than 100 factories of that size if we want to fuel Biden's climate goals with domestically manufactured panels. Mm. So it's really nascent stages for this sector. And what the Biden administration is banking on is if they put in place new tax breaks for solar manufacturing for other parts of that supply chain, that could create thousands, tens of thousands of jobs throughout the entire value stream for solar uh, spread across the entire nation. That's the goal, at least, right? Right. Now, there's a lot of ifs. First of all, the first thing that right-leaning economists will tell us is, well, you're going to spend a lot of money trying to prop up U.S.-made manufacturing. There could be some price increases for consumers. Mm -hmm. If it has to pay higher prices, then maybe it will, you know, solar will be less competitive to other fossil fuels. All of it feeds into this problem of, of inflation that we've been seeing, right? So that's a big threat for Biden and it's a very public, like, very visible threat. If they start to see their policies feeding inflation, that's going to hurt them electorally. Definitely. I mean, already in the polls, we've seen that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the question of employment. 700 workers is nothing to sneeze at, but it's not a gigantic number of workers. Right. And the more and more of these factories you build, the more and more the factory owners are going to try to automate them. And this is something that even the, sec the renewable energy sector tells us today is that 
they're not going to scale up with as many workers in the United States as they would in like Southeast Asia, right? Or lower cost, lower labor cost markets. Mm -hmm. So as they scale up, they're going to be trying to use fewer and fewer workers. Obviously, they're going to employ some people. They're going to employ a lot of people. But how many can it really get us back to being a manufacturing powerhouse again? I think that's an open question, right? And a lot of politicians campaign on bringing manufacturing back to the United States. So is this approach, this current approach from the Biden administration on trade manufacturing policy, much different than past administrations? Yeah, politicians over decades have always talked about trying to bring manufacturing jobs back to the United States ever since they started to leave. I think the difference that we've seen in the past two administrations is they've actually started to do things, right? Trump had his own way of going about it with slapping tariffs on thing on imports that were coming from China, coming from other parts of parts of the world, right? And trying to use his bully pulpit to get manufacturers to locate back in the United States. Um, that was something that shook the orthodoxy in his party, got people thinking differently about economics. Um, certainly, mm -hmm. there was not another protectionist Republican in recent memory, right? Not Reagan, not, not the Bushes, certainly not. They were all very much free traders. And Trump got a lot of people in his party thinking differently about that, right? Yeah. The Biden administration came in, and what I was struck with is that they didn't do away with a lot of that economic populism, right? They're doing it much differently. They're saying, we don't want all the blanket tariffs. We're doing it in a much more targeted way. But they still have that same goal of rebuilding domestic manufacturing, right? Whereas Obama, Clinton, they were very much more free traders. The Biden administration's come in and said, no, we... We don't necessarily believe in free trade for the sake of free trade, right? We want to use the tax code to bring people back to the United States instead of incentivizing them to go out of the United States. And so I think a big part of this story was just pointing out that we're doing something different with trade policy now in the post-pandemic, post-Trump era than we were for decades before. The economic calculus from Reagan through Obama was... Globalization is good because if companies globalize, they put their production in lower cost economies. Well, that lowers prices for American consumers. And that was something that was embraced yeah. by American political thought for a long, long time, right? Until Trump came in because Trump came in on a big upwelling of antipathy, of opposition to those trade policies. Robert Lighthizer, his trade chief, always used to say, well, I think Americans will pay a little bit more money for a T-shirt to know that it was made in the United States. Mm -hmm. Efficiency, economic efficiency, was not the only calling card. It was not the only goal. And it's very interesting. Biden administration officials in this piece saying basically the same thing. The kicker quote to this piece is, for decades we only thought about economic efficiency. We need to be thinking about other things, like resilience, like not being reliant on China like not having global supply chains that can be disrupted by a pandemic. One of the things you wrote about in your story that I thought was interesting and important is this link between climate and manufacturing. I think for Democrats, one of the big messaging problems, at least on the campaign trail, often is that things like green technology can actually create jobs. And there's a bit of a shrewd political calculation happening with something like solar here, where it fits into this administration's ambitious goals, but also is kind of good old-fashioned American manufacturing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the White House sees this and the renewable energy industry sees this too, is that they're asking American society to make a huge investment in low and zero carbon energy, right? We need to build a ton Mm -hmm. of solar. We need to build a ton of wind. We're going to need batteries. We're going to need other technologies. And it's a lot of societal change to ask for if you're not going to write people in that equation, right? So they want to say, yes, we need to change. We need to get off fossil fuels. We need to not be burning coal and gas for electricity. But this is going to be good for you, average worker in the heartland, because you're going to have a stake in this. You're going to have skin Mm -hmm. in the game. You could get a job making solar panels, or maybe your steel mill gets more work because you're supplying new wind energy projects. Maybe if you work in, if you work on something like uh, in the supply chain for cement, whether you're mining things, whether you're working in the processing plant, maybe the demand for that goes up because we're using a lot more cement in wind and solar facilities, things like that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, they, they see that it's, it's a lot to ask a lot of people and it's a lot of societal change to go through if you're not also going to be benefiting benefiting them economically. That's the economic bet that they're making here. Now, whether they can deliver will depend on whether they can pass these provisions through Congress. And that's really up in the air. You write about how in terms of industrial policy and manufacturing, the White House is really putting its hopes on a broad combination of things, Uh, tariffs, trade, tax breaks. Mm -hmm. But in the example of solar, in terms of scaling something up like solar, how much of that is tied to legislation that has to pass, say, like the reconciliation bill? Right. And if it doesn't pass, then this scale up isn't going to happen in the same way. Yeah, I, I would say no matter what, you're going to see demand for solar panels increase in the United States, right? We're going to need mm-hmm. them whether or not reconciliation passes because utilities are going to continue adding solar no matter what, mm-hmm. right? If we pass reconciliation, we pass other climate change stuff, yeah, there might be more demand, but solar, we're going to keep adding solar no matter what. The big question in the reconciliation package from the trade standpoint is whether those panels are going to be made here or whether we're going to continue to import them, right? Um, And so without, I mean, there's some things you can do with trade policy. I don't think Biden's going to be slapping new tariffs on solar panels. I don't see that happening. But I do think we're going to see more trade restrictions against panels and solar panel materials coming from China because there's a lot of labor concerns there. Uyghur Forced Labor Act is going into uh, effect as well. And we just, we know that a lot of those a lot of those panels and components are tied up in some pretty bad human rights abuses, right? But if you don't pass the domestic manufacturing tax breaks, I don't think you're going to see the founding of enough factories to feed the U.S. solar demand. So they're going to have to be looking other places, right? We're going to be looking in Southeast Asia. We're going to be looking to to a certain extent still from China for our solar panels. So it's a question of whether we make it here or we make them other places. Now, we're never going to get to the point where we make all of our solar panels here. That's probably not going to happen, right? But what the backers of this of the reconciliation bill want to see is some diversification. You get some from Southeast Asia, you get some domestically, you get some from other parts of the world, and then you don't find yourself reliant on one market like we have been relying on the Chinese market for solar panels and components. Is it at all politically significant that this factory is in a swing state? Yeah, I think that definitely the Democrats want to see more manufacturing jobs happening, especially if they can tie them to their policies in swing states like Georgia, right? Mm -hmm. Now, 
we're already into 2022, even if they pass this thing next month, which is probably not going to happen, right? Are we going to see groundbreakings happening before the midterms because of these policies? Probably not. So I don't know about, you know, is it going to make a big difference in the midterms? If they can pass it, maybe that gives them some momentum for voters to say, hey, we're actually doing something. But I think like you're looking at kind of the employment impacts a little bit longer term. So, you know, it's not going to be instant, any electoral impact. Gavin Bade, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Also today, veteran communications aide Jamal Simmons will become Vice President Kamala Harris's communications director. The move comes after two of the vice president's top aides, Simone Sanders and Ashley Etienne, left the office in December. And top election officials in Oregon said Thursday that Nicholas Kristof, a former New York Times columnist, is ineligible to run for governor because he does not meet a three-year residency requirement, calling it, quote, not even a close call. Kristoff said that he would be appealing the decision. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Our senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our senior producer is Jenny Ament. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>